0: What's up, queens? Welcome to the Female Dating Strategy Podcast, the meanest female-only podcast on the internet. I'm Ro. I'm Savannah.
1: And I'm Willis. And today, we are going to church. Yeah. We're going to talk about Jeebus.
0: <laughs> Jeebus. We're <laughs> talking about some Jeebus. Um, no. Uh, yeah. So this episode is about some of the toxic messages that we learned from our religious upbringing. A long overdue episode, because I know that we've hinted at it a lot about certain messages that were instilled in us. When I by us, I mean Savannah. <laughs> yeah, Lilith is a godless heathen. I'm a godless heathen.
2: <laughs> a godless heathen. <laughs> do you remember you saying that like you do have religious family members? Yeah, I do have religious family members, but honestly, like I am like a legend in the church as like the demon child, right? So I don't show my face there. You swerved that. <laughs> yeah. I like literally as a child would like scream in church and because I didn't want to be there and then they stopped inviting me and that's how I got out of going to church.
1: Oh my gosh, that we just got our asses beat if we did that. Just started screaming in church. <laughs> I did also get my ass beat,
2: but I just kept screaming. <laughs> and it was perfectly acceptable for the other like church mothers to pop you with a wooden spoon too. Or like a spatula. <laughs> See, my mom had this attitude of like, only I am allowed to beat my daughter kind of thing. So I, that my mom wouldn't have let that fly. But so I guess it's kind of like she had her own weird way of protecting me. <laughs> so I guess that kind of helped. But yeah, I just was raised uh, mostly without the influence of God or just it's sort of like a peripheral sort of outside thing, if that makes sense.
0: It's hard to actually do this episode because there's so much to unpack that it's almost hard to know where to start because most of it has to do with patriarchal religion. And it's a pretty sticky topic because for a lot of people, religion isn't necessarily just a belief system. It's like a cultural, it's part of their culture, right? So it's hard to extricate themselves from the social aspect of believing in a religion, even if they don't necessarily believe all the tenets anymore, even if they've secularized themselves themselves. There's a lot of people like where they're, you know, their family's so entrenched and it's difficult to do. So
1: I don't know. Where do you want to start? I just wanted to say as well that I think the time has come, as they say, to... (laughs) <laughs> to really have a reckoning on the role of religion and just how much, I guess, upset, discrimination and just basically bullshit that it's responsible for, regardless of if you're a religion or not. A lot of people aren't taught the history of religion and just how many things it had an influence over. So when people talk about the separation of the church and state, even though in a lot of especially Western worlds that is happening, but the genesis of or the impact of religion, it still can't be removed from certain industries, because it's so deeply rooted. For example, that the concept of the mental health institutions and like mental asylums actually started with the Quakers when believed that mental illness was basically like a physical illness. And in that, you know, we can exercise it, we can basically just like cut out of your system. And the same, you know, sort of, You know, when it comes to the asylums, the same, I guess, like format of asylum that was begun by the Quakers is still very much relevant today and it really has an impact on the way people with poor mental health and the people who end up in these sorts of places are treated as well. So there really needs to be a wider discussion, I think, about just how far-reaching religion actually is, and in particular as well when it comes to women. Like Historically, I'm speaking from the point of view of Christianity because that's what I grew up around, but historically uh, Christianity has not been a friend to women at all. If you look at the historical teachings, the way Jesus was essentially lauded in the Bible, seen as a radical human being, just because he treated women as if they were human beings. Like, bearing in mind, people like to say that Jesus was so liberal, but he wasn't. He was still quite conservative, if you look at what he actually said. But it's quite telling that at the time, he was deemed to be a radical person because he so much as spoke to women and the mischaracterization of women in the bible is a huge thing as well like mary magdalene you know when people say jesus was friends with prostitutes they're referring to mary magdalene when there is that little to no evidence to suggest that she was actually a prostitute but that's just become a huge part of bible lexicon and a lot of the i suppose like the myth busting around the bible and the stories i actually learned from essentially an atheist as well which is also interesting (laughs) So, yeah, I think we need to have a bit of an honest discussion about the history of religion to begin with and where women fit into that because the history is not pretty at all. It's always been politicized and it's not
0: to just pick on, I don't want to pick on just Christianity, but most religions... Especially the Abrahamic ones. I don't know as much about like Buddhism or, or Hinduism. We're leaning towards Christianity because we understand it more culturally. It's the one that we grew up in. Yeah, that's that's what I grew up in it's so politicized and i think it's hard to have this conversation without blackpilling people because even when you look at the types of things that made it in the bible or the types of translations that were considered accurate from like the original hebrew texts or arabic texts to english it's all very political in fact like the current canon in the bible was decided you know by the catholic church and a lot of it has to do with like which things they thought should be in there and a lot of the books that were a little bit more female friendly or told more descriptive tales about like women's role when it came to the Messianic scriptures were deliberately omitted. So you have to understand that like everything that we're even reading or considering to be canon has some kind of historical basis and specifically a political ideology that was decided through what types of biblical texts would be included. So it's very difficult to talk about because you know, for anybody who's still practicing religion in this day and age, like you almost have to live with a certain level of cognitive dissonance between what's in the Bible, what the intention was when it was written, and then whatever church that you go to interprets it. And more often than not, and part of the reason why I walked away from the church is that you'll find that it's overwhelmingly toxic to women. Most denominations are horribly toxic to women, especially in the United States. Like when you're talking about Baptists, Lutherans, Kojic-type churches, evangelicals. Having grown up in the evangelical culture, most of it is very, like, patriarchal, almost exclusively extremely patriarchal. And not even just patriarchal, but, like, specifically teaches a lot of female subservience and female denigration disguised as, once again, disguised as empowerment, where they try to tell you is empowering but isn't.
1: I honestly think that religion was like designed as a supreme affirmative action for men i know i've said that about marriage but like religion supersedes marriage in this case it's honestly just like like affirmative action for shitty men if you look at some of the teachings about how women are supposed to be submissive like to men it doesn't really give as much chair time to what sort of man is should be worth submitting to if you see what i mean so, this is why I just think it's just affirmative action for shitty men and just another way to control women and keep them in their place. And, like Rose said, it's just, you know, a way to convince women that being subjugated by men is in their best interests when it's not.
0: Yes. And everything is about context as well. There are some arguments that for its time, certain principles were progressive for women, but the problem with biblical fundamentalists and fundamentalists in general is that like they don't do any type of historical criticism they look at it like everything there is the exact right way to do things and there should be no creative interpretation for today's world there's like a need to say that everything in the book is infallible and therefore that's the exact way you should perform everything but the irony is like even while they're saying that they still cherry pick things which we'll get into oh 100% yeah <laughs> about which things are things that should still be followed and which things are not uh, followed. And guess what? Most of the things that they think are right and just and should be followed are things that give men power and disenfranchise women. Uh, cows of peace. One of the biggest places in which you'll start to see that is purity culture slash marriage culture, where most of the evangelical teachings that I grew up with were all about how like men are the head of the household, that God-ordained men with certain roles, men are supposed to be leaders, and women are supposed to be submissive and f- followers, right? That like we're supposed to submit to the headship of men and that women are made to be men's helpmeet. So from the beginning, they're already framing that women's existence is there to be subservient to men and to what men want and men's needs. And that men are supposed to do like what they call like generally like graceful leadership or love leadership and stuff like that. I mean, it's so often bullshit, right? Like the expectations for men are, even though they're supposed to be a certain way, like they're not often enforced in the church and then often like used to uh, constantly disenfranchise and disempower women and cause women to not speak up when things are bad. And I talked about this in the bonus content is that it caused a lot of abuse in my family because the church basically put up with it because they felt like, well, the men are supposed to be the leaders in the house and like he's abusive because some of the women in my family, so they felt anyways, like weren't respecting their authority because they wanted to be focused on their careers or they wanted to get an education. And so like they discouraged women from getting education, from getting careers, from getting like anything that might give them any type of independence because they felt like a woman's place is to submit to the authority of her husband.
1: Yeah. And then the marriage advice, advice in quotation marks, again, it just wasn't, I mean, from what I saw, it was always more about praying the problem away, being a better wife, basically putting up and yeah, basically put up and shut up sort of culture. There wasn't really any, even though, and you know, I found this the wildest is that even Jesus said divorce is, you know, cheating is grounds for divorce, but. If a woman was subjected to infidelity in her marriage, all the churches I went to, they would never advise her to divorce. If anything, you know, they would make out like she was a problem for wanting to be divorced and they would gaslight her and make her believe that, you know, just pray it away. You know, you can be a better wife. This was just a blip. It's just a part of marriage. To the point where people in the church I went to actively expected that their husband would cheat on them. Like, it was just like a casual thing, so to speak. Almost like, you know, I expect my uh, my husband to watch the Super Bowl sort of thing. And that's just how normalized it became.
0: Yeah, it's interesting the double standard there. I don't know. I don't remember... Because I left the church early on.
1: You escaped early on.
0: (laughs) Like, I don't remember necessarily like getting plugged into all of the drama as far as like people's marriages. I could only see as far as like cheating anyways. But like, there was always like rumors about that, that there were men in the church that were quite frankly, like just cads, right? Like they would just use the church as like their own predatory, like sexual ground, right? Maybe not predatory, but like it was just more like it's a place where a man can have his ego stroked. And then there's a lot of desperate women and the proportion of men to women in the church is always skews female. So like if a man who is a leadership position in the church and he's single wants to have like women, then it's like the perfect place for them to
1: do that because there's a lot of women who basically hero worship them. And in a place where marriage is touted as like the end goal for every woman, then then yeah. And and to be honest, I saw that predatory nature firsthand where the youth pastor at my church started a relationship with the vicar's daughter before she was 18. And I got all this tea because I was quite close to one of the, you know, like the people who run the church at like the church council. There was a woman who sort of took me under her wing and I used to go to her house a lot of the time. And she was on it and she said like, he basically came to them and said, we're starting this relationship, bearing in mind he was a youth pastor. And they were like, what the fuck? So the compromise in quotation marks was they couldn't go public until she turned 18, but they'd started a relationship before she was 18. And the worst part is everybody knew it was like an open secret. Like they weren't even subtle about it. But I mean, looking back, this was like when I was still part of the church. So I just thought it was like, okay, yeah, whatever. But looking back, that was deeply inappropriate. It's just like, A teacher having a relationship with a 17-year-old student, that teacher would be struck off. Even if the teacher was, say, 22 and the age gap wasn't that big, but it's not so much about that. It's more the abuse of power, being in a power position, you know?
0: Yeah. And a lot of men get into those positions specifically because they like having that power. And you have a lot of people that can, once again... Gonna say this delicately. If you practice a faith-based religion, it means that often that you have to take things on quote faith, like less than and not necessarily on evidence or reason per se. So often you have charlatan type people that take advantage of that, right? So there's a lot of men who see that kind of environment and they think to themselves, like, okay, this is a place where I can thrive because you have a lot of people who will take what I say based on faith or face value.
1: Yeah, who' basically give them the benefit of the doubt, even when it's not deserved or shouldn't be given at all. Yeah, so part of a
0: faith-based religion, it often means like suspending certain levels of reason, and also there's a reinforcement that you should be like innocent as a lamb.
1: And then the way that like forgiveness is inappropriately weaponized as well adds to it as well so like forgive and forget like the way again i'm going to speak about the church because this is all the experience that i have but the way like forgiveness is you know seen in the church is often very very one-sided it's unlimited chances even when the bible doesn't actually say that at all like if you look in the book of for example you know psalms and even and proverbs as well the bible is really really clear on you know not getting involved with shitty people and cutting them off as well but The way that's translated, well, that basically hasn't translated at all into the context of the church, which is why so many Christians believe that you should just keep forgiving people, even when they keep on being shitty, even though the Bible never actually said that. And if anything, it says the opposite. It says that you're stupid. What's the line? I think it's like somewhere in Proverbs, it says, as a dog goes back to its, you know, vomit, a fool repeats their stupidity. So it's quite clear in that if you keep getting into the same bad situations, you know, then you're basically on the same level as a dog who eats its own vomit. Like I don't know, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how much more base you can get about that. But that particular message, especially for, um, around forgiveness, is just not translated at all in the church today as well.
0: There's often double standards around it and hypocritical. Like I said, they cherry pick which types of things deserve forgiveness and which things deserve permanent condemnation, right? And often, once again, it's things that give men power and disenfranchise women. So yes, like like Savannah said, there is a lot of pressure for women to extend grace to men for almost everything, including things like infidelity, abuse, but you rarely see the opposite. And part of it, I think, is because men in those situations are more likely to bounce and just give up on religion. In my experience, they only practice religion if it gives them some type of power. And in fact, there's been a really big push. And this is something before I left the church, like one of the really big pushes in the church was about defeminizing the church. I don't know if that's something that you've experienced at all, Savannah.
1: I never came across that.
0: So church attendance is down all around. And then like specifically the gender ratio in the church has gotten uh, extremely lopsided in favor of women. So Quick estimates, something like 60 to 65, 70 percent of, uh, depending on the actual denomination of churchgoers are women. Also, a lot of the way that evangelicals would praise and worship is kind of, (laughs) it's interesting, like it would be... I know like South Park lambasted it but they would talk about God and talk about Jesus in a way that was like very much a love song like Jesus I love you and Jesus is like this and this and that. So it would turn a lot of, it would turn a lot of men off who kind of didn't like the almost like romantic sounding devotion of a lot of the praise and worship towards God and towards Jesus. So there was this initiative and this pushback against what they were calling the feminization of the church because of the fact that so often like men were just leaving, right? Like if any men, men who would not want to take responsibility for anything, men who couldn't use, feel like they were going to be powerful in the church and be able to use it to exert power and the church would just leave. They didn't necessarily like singing love songs to Jesus. (laughs) Uh, they felt like women weren't submitting to them and stuff like that, right? So a lot of it had to do with them feeling like women were taking over the church and women were getting too powerful in the church, especially as like women started to demand that they be given more senior leadership roles. And this was a really, really big controversy. There was the controversy around giving senior leadership roles to obviously gay and lesbians, but also the controversy about giving women, uh, even straight women, Uh, leadership roles was still really controversial. So there was a lot of like scrote raging about women, quote unquote, taking over the church and it no longer being a purview where men could like assert their authority and their headship, etc. It's interesting because they want most of the churchgoers are women, most of the support staff are women, a lot of what keeps churches running are women, but they don't want women to have leadership roles. They attack women when women start to in any way, like, quote, scare the men off because they're not being submissive enough debatable about like, what if that's why there's sort of like a dependence on women while having a contempt for women at the same time. And I feel like uh, part of the reason why women in particular are more susceptible to church is because women are so often in positions where they're dependent. And so like for myself and for my family, I know at different times in our life where honestly, we probably would have been destitute without it. The church has really stepped in, right? Where like, it's become a place where even in the absence of men, and if there's men there, there's a lot of like, a way to find female camaraderie in order to support each other through difficult times. But that has led to like, what they're calling feminization, because it's more like, it can be, (laughs) ironically, like women supporting women whilst also upholding patriarchy.
1: Yeah. But don't you think as well, it's interesting how, if I'm judging the timeline correctly that. This, you know, mass exodus of, you know, men who ate shit from the church also coincided with the rise of things like the manosphere and the red pill that basically want the traditional, you know, woman that's been set out in Christianity, but obviously with like none of the responsibility or obligation to be a good person.
0: I mean, yeah, that's exactly what it is. But I feel like religion was probably always the appeal for for religion for a lot of men in the first place, right? The idea that they could
1: have some kind of little mini... Affirmative action, basically. Like they can get their woman, their submissive woman, who'll be a doormat, who won't challenge them, he'll make them food, give them babies, give them sex on tap without them having to do anything. Affirmative action for men, ladies, in action in the church. Yes. And that brings us
0: to our next point about purity culture. So purity and sex culture. I don't know if people grew up in the age of purity balls and purity rings, but purity balls and purity rings were pledges that kids would make to Generally, it was a girl would make to her father to remain a virgin till marriage. There was some like gender swap version of that, but it was not nearly as popular and as prevalent as like the daddy daughter <laughs> dynamic.
1: I wonder why. The man
0: was like in charge of his daughter's, protecting his daughter's virtue and protecting his daughter's like virginity until she got married and gave herself to her husband. And so there was a weird, it's like this mentality that your sexuality is owned by your father until it's owned by your husband and that women don't have ownership of their own sexuality.
2: Can I just say you? Right. Fucking you. I these mean, the daddy daughter balls where they like dance and like, The idea of a father, like, owning his daughter's sexuality is so disgusting and incestuous to me, just, like, even symbolically. How is that a normal part of the culture? (laughs)
0: Well, so they don't like, it's not as explicit, especially if, if you're t- dealing with young kids, because the girls don't know what they're talking about, right? They're just like, oh, I love my daddy. I'm pledging myself to my daddy, right? Because they would do these purity balls for teenagers, but also like toddlers and stuff, right? So it would be kind of like a daddy-daughter dance and it would be it would be promoted more or less like strong fathers uh, protecting their daughter's virtue. So it's like, oh, I'm here to protect you and make sure nobody harms you or takes advantage of you. And, and da, 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 da. So like they would more frame it that way and less about like explicitly about sex that it was less like incestuous and disgusting
2: what kind of purity are we talking about here like
0: it is sexual purity but like they would say everything they would basically dress it up as like everything purity like guarding her mind and guarding her heart
2: and guarding her body as well Yeah, but we all know what they're talking. That's the thing. That's what's so sick about these types of events to me is that the kids have no idea what's going on, but all the adults do. And so there's almost like a sort of... I'm watching it as an outsider. It's like a... has a sort of dramatic irony almost where, you know, in like plays or in in theater there's like dramatic irony where like the audience knows something that the players, you know, the, or the characters don't kind of thing. So I'm watching these little girls like not, you know, you know, oh, I love my dad kind of thing. For them, it's all innocent. They don't know what it's about. But the adults in the room do. That like asymmetry and the knowledge of what they're talking about is what makes it so fucking creepy to me. And like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just, I almost wanted to just take a step back and just be like, you're talking about all these things that's like a completely foreign concept to me. And it's actually like, It makes me angry to realize that, like, how normalized it is, actually, for the girls that grow up with it.
0: A lot of it that's really, I mean, harmful to women, which I think is, you know, why I think there was such a rise in, like, liberal feminism, because it was basically like, fuck all that, right? Like, I own my sexuality. I'm going to experiment with my sexuality. They just kind of took it to an extreme, right? Right because they were just trying to be anti-conservative. And because conservative purity culture is toxic, and it's toxic in its own way, because of the fact that like, once again, everything is about making women sexually exploitable to men. And we've more talked about it from the angle of like secularism because we've talked about obviously like prostitution and like the sex industry, et cetera. But like that kind of grooming mentality, it really did start in conservative culture. I feel like when women left started to kind of leave that angle, they just took that same idea, (laughs) but like applied it to secular culture and that like your sexuality... And that like letting men dictate what's sexy and what your sexuality should be, right? And then saying it's empowering. Because one of the things I started to notice when I started to like, when I left the church and then started to kind of navigate the world as a sexual being outside of the church and then figuring out what that means, is like, oh, a lot of the language is actually unironically the exact same coming from purity culture, but just dressed up for secular culture. Like, And we talk about that all the time when a concept of submission as it means from BDSM versus like how submission is framed within Christian culture. Like it's literally framed the exact same way that female submission is the power position within a Christian marriage. And that like, actually the man has more responsibility in that kind of situation because he's more accountable to God. And that like, and that even though it looks like abuse on the outside, it's actually submissive and then uh, i.e. the woman in that situation that has the more power and so you see that exact same rhetoric being said by bdsm communities and that's why i'm like so this is just basically like bizarro (laughs) world christianity
1: in a lot of ways (laughs) like (laughs) yes yes that was one of the things that i first noticed when i started dabbling in bdsm just the parallels between like christianity was just insane like i don't think if you had a ds relationship and you had say a man walking his wife on a leash like a dog in most churches i don't even think they would care to be honest like they're so similar in terms of the structure the protocols the whole and wasn't really used to like really get on my wick in the BSM community like uh bro you know in church like lexicon like when you're referring to god right you capitalize it so even if it's his pronouns like he him it's always capitalized and you see that in the BDSM community a lot. Like when uh, women are referring to their doms, they capitalise and it just fucks me up every single time. Cause I just think of it as a, I've only seen that in religion before. Like I've only, do you know what I mean? I was just like, what the fuck? I hate that so much when they refer to their dom with the capital
2: he, like they're referring to a man as a god.
1: With a capital he. Uh. And they do it even when they're not like talking to the dom, like when they're just having comments. It's just like, I'm just like, what the fuck? But anyway, that was one of the first things I noticed about BDSM and it just really squicked me out.
0: And even not just to the extreme of BDSM, but general sexual culture, like if you talk to Christian women and Christian girls, they'll say the exact same thing, that they're freely making the choice to give their purity to their father or to their husband. They're saving themselves from marriage out of their free choice. Even though it's clear that men are manipulating that situation in the same way that like choice feminism says the same thing that like, oh, women, I'm really choosing to like, have sex with all these guys on the first night because I'm empowered. Where like it's very clearly when you take a little bit of a step back that men are manipulating that situation for most women by telling them that's empowering because it benefits them, right? So there's like an element of like just going from one type of sexual control and sexual expectation that's been framed to women as empowerment. And purity culture is not framed to women like it's oppressive. And within the Christian circles, it is also framed as empowering and that it's actually giving you a lot of power in your relationship to say no. And that's why so many women, you're seeing like the rise of the trad wives and the rise of like the feminine coaches, because it teaches them sexual boundaries. Now it comes at the expense of your sexual ownership being by men or being had by men, but it does give them sexual boundaries versus liberal feminism that like normalizes the lack of sexual boundaries. I'd like they're kind of trying to pick play catch up now with consent. but Even with consent, it's such a bare minimum criteria. And it's not nearly sufficient enough for all the men that are trying to sexually exploit you. It comes with the caveat of like sexual expectation, because like you yes, you have the freedom to make the choice in the same way that conservative women are making the choice to stay pure. But it's often your choices are dictated to you by men.
1: Yeah. But what's so interesting about purity culture is that I'm not sure if you might have insight into this row, not that you partake in it, but if you just like, know any stories, but you never hear, like, okay, so what's, I would mean, say so you never hear, like, the after the cherry popping story. From the little that I know, that many women or the women I know who waited until marriage, they ended up having very, very like disordered views about sex even after marriage. And, you know, they've advised me even that if I could do it again, I wouldn't have waited so long. Not to say that they were buying into sex posi culture, sleep with everybody culture, but they would have, you know, but I think that when they got married, because even I think, you know, like another parallel between sex posi culture and purity culture is that they make sex a much bigger deal than it actually is. And I think that when these women, you know, eventually had sex, like, you know, like, for example, firstly, because in the church, there's absolutely no sex education. The only sex education is just to abstain. So things like the practical elements of sex, they knew nothing about. Secondly, even things like how to enjoy sex, again, they knew nothing about that either. And, you know, decades of being told that sex is dirty, sex is this, sex will change who you are as a person, sex will, you know, it's a binding experience that all the people that you slept with are going to be like hovering in your spirit for life. All those sorts of beliefs doesn't go away after marriage, and a lot of them ended up having quite, like, basically, sexual dysfunction as an adult. Yeah, pretty much. But and it's really sad because they're not sexually dysfunctional. It's all completely psychological
0: there's also um there was a big scandal with millennials especially those who went to a lot of these like bible colleges about how often they would get married really young because of the emphasis on purity culture so they get married like 1920
1: oh i experienced that as well in my church yeah and they get divorced by 22 yeah
0: First of all, I think a lot of the women felt pressured into it to feel like, okay, I'm going to take fulfilling my God-given duty to be someone's wife. But truthfully, their relationships had problems, but they also weren't actually sexually attracted to some of the men because they picked the good man, right? The Christian biblical man. And they had issues with sex, but also that like they didn't learn their own sexuality enough for them to sustain a relationship because then you get in a relationship, you don't know enough about your own sexual needs. And then it just becomes like a disappointment after disappointment. And in the place of that, that's when they started having all these like uh, Christian books that came out, one of which was the five love languages, which is like a huge, which is huge, right? But it did start out as like a Christian book. But there's a lot of these like Christian relationship books and marriage books that would emphasize and like that were so focused on like Christian sex, and part of it was because of like a lot of women discovering themselves in these marriages where they were just completely sexually unsatisfied, and then their husbands being demanding pricks because they're like, Well, I thought I was gonna get sex on demand because I got me a wife, right? Yeah, exactly. And all of it was like teaching women to like acquiesce in the name of God, which is like just so disgusting on so many levels. Like God's gotta tell you to fuck your husband. Like I think your sex drive is just what it is.
1: I don't even think it was God. I think it was that scrope Paul who had like it was him he said Oh, you can only agree to not, like, basically not having sex should be a mutual decision as opposed to, like, so your husband should agree that you don't sleep with him. Like, where's the bodily autonomy? And, like, Paul wasn't even married himself. So, yeah. It didn't even come from God, that commandment. It actually came from one of his, I guess, like, wayward apostles. He wasn't a disciple. He was just a random dude. Random guy. Just a guy.
0: guy. He was a convert. He used to be, like, anti-Christian and then he became converted and then he started writing all these gospels. She'd have stayed blind, to be honest, for what he
2: did for Christianity. Oh, was that the guy who used to be Saul and then he became Paul? That guy? Yeah, the road right to Damascus moment. Yeah, he basically went hardcore. Right? <laughs> <laughs> <Once> he-, <laughs> he went from hard right to hard left or vice versa
0: exactly like he was just like one of the first like absolute zealots and so he had all these like uh ideas about how things should be run so he was constantly like writing people letters and shit about like how
1: things need to be done and he had so much to say about marriage despite never being married the scripture she's referencing is
0: uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 5, where it says Paul saying that abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. So basically, like they took this one verse and then they built all this doctrine around it about like how you have to fuck your husband so that Satan doesn't tempt him.
1: Yeah. And women have really internalized that as well, not just in religion as well, but it's basically that whole idea of like maintenance sex, isn't it? Like the idea that the only good reason for a woman to abstain is for prayer and fasting when realistically, even in like modern like day religion, you know, praise and fasting isn't really a thing in a lot of, so basically she hasn't gone out there. <laughs> she hasn't gone out there anyway. I'm just imagining ancient times, women getting out of sex. Like, you know, now that it's like, oh, I have a headache
2: or like, oh, I'm tired from work or something. Like imagine women back then, like, no, we can't have sex tonight. I'm fasting. Or like, no. Imagine women like praying to avoid sex with their husband. Like the man wants to have sex. She's like, no, no, no. I'm busy praying. Like, (laughs) let's figure out how to gain the system.
0: Yeah, he was like, he was celibate, but he'd always say like, oh, the wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. So it's like them trying to create a scripture by which, you know, and like the new English translation is marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve each other, whether in bed or out. So like, there's a lot of like emphasis on this type of scripture and they built in a lot of the like relationship counselors would be them trying to like negotiate these sexual politics with even within the marriage, because like a lot of women, they just had no sexual knowledge and no sexual clue. Right. And then depending on what kind of religion you are, Some of them are very anti-birth control on top of that. So you're talking about the risk of pregnancy every time you have sex on top of that. And it's just like, there's no acknowledgement of women's sexuality other than like this sort of submissive thing that she's got a duty for her husband. And the irony, and once again, when you look at secular culture, maintenance sex is also a thing in secular culture. When I look at like how the sexual liberation movement has really failed women. It's like, it really feels like they just adopted all of the language from the church and then like (laughs) made it fashion, made it secularized because this is yet another concept That started there that still exists in quote unquote empowerment circles or like women's like sexual function circles that like, oh, well, if you're not turned on all the time, if you're not a sexual being, you should have sex. If you're not having an orgasm, you should have sex. Like even if it's like maintenance sex, these are all things that are like still preached, even though it's like, why? Like, why is this something that we're, we're creating as part of our sexual culture for women? And how is this different from the teachings of what came from conservative culture from the
1: Bible? Yeah, exactly. I
0: don't know. That's how I started to see through the scam of sex positivity. Because, like, this is basically just the same shit I already learned, but, like, almost like flipped around in its head a little bit. Instead of being a private property of a man, you're publicly property, in the words of Andrew Dworkin.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's just, and the end result is the same increasing sexual access to women for men.
0: Yeah, things like blue ball. Like, so many of the, like, myths about sexual culture and women's sexuality is not all that different. Which is the irony of it, which is why still all this time, even after all this like sexual liberation, so many women, even now, even within Gen Z are reporting just like mass levels of sexual dissatisfaction because so much of it is like in service of men.
1: Yeah. And that's sad. Okay. So, but I would like to make a final point and this is towards the women who are uh, religious or who are in the church because I did know some people who didn't classify themselves as being religious but they liked going to church. I'm not like handy the concept of there being a deity or a god in general, but what I think that uh women who are in the church need to be aware of and to always consider is if the advice that they're being given is actually serving them. In my church career, I did find that there were some churches that were a lot better than others at being, I guess somewhat decent towards women. And sometimes it's just a case of just potentially shopping around and finding a good supportive like, community as well. I don't know, like, I'm just trying to think of how FDS fits in with religion, because I do know that there are some people who subscribe to FDS who are also religious.
0: Realistically, I think it's actually hard to advocate for yourself within the bounds of patriarch religion. That being said, I think FDS would try to meet everybody where they are right now. Not everybody's in a position where they can just fully extricate themselves from their communities. Like I've said before, you know, religion isn't just, it's not just a belief system. It's like a cultural thing, right? Like there's a lot of people that celebrate Christmas and Easter and they're not Christian, right? In our culture. And even people who are, you know, if they're Muslim, in fact, I've had friends like like their families are actually atheist and they moved to the United States from a Middle Eastern country, but like they still have to practice. They still practice certain cultural aspects of their, their religion, even if they don't believe in it. So it's not always like easy to just completely extricate yourself. But I think if you're still in a religion and you're more looking for a traditional marriage within that religion, then I think the concept of vetting becomes extremely, extremely important. Don't be like the red pill chicks, was <laughs> just like kind of, yeah, because the red pill is basically just the exact same thing. Instead of calling, you know, for biblical headship of the man, it's like, a, you know, their captain and all this kind of stuff. But like all of those women are often in these completely one-sided to satisfying relationships because they don't vet and they're not encouraged to advocate for themselves. So the danger is, is if you're in these types of religion, understand that the odds are stacked against you, that the structure as is, is going to support male leadership before it supports your ability to advocate for yourself. And that includes everything, but especially things like sex, as well as like how to raise a family. So I know there's a lot of women who realistically, and once again, I think people who rely on the community, like people who are are, uh, poor or working class or rely on the community of the church, they're more likely to stay within his teaching because it offers some kind of protection for them, right? To have that community to like be able to uplift and support them through hard times. I don't want to like completely denigrate the church because I understand like why some women continue to do it because it is a place of resources for people who may not otherwise have it. But I think if you're looking to get into a marriage, even if you're trying to follow your relationship, like it becomes of the utmost importance to draw boundaries around yourself and the types of things that you'll put up with. And I think even more so than other women, because you're going to put yourself in a position to be where the odds are stacked against you because the men generally can wield the power of the church a a lot easier than women. So vetting men for obviously financial stability, but also like their ability to take direction from you is of the utmost importance and then also personally i don't think you should wait till you get married to have sex because i think like we said it could lead to a lot of dissatisfaction but i know but for those of you who are like born again virgins and like who've had sex and like so you have at least some idea like you have to lean on that experience even when you're trying to choose a sexual partner that you're going to have for the rest of your life like i almost recommend having sex trying to start to draw boundaries around what you like sexually what you don't and then like becoming a born again virgin (laughs) because to me it's a little bit better than just going into it like completely blind.
1: I think, like, if you want to wait until you're married, that's absolutely fine as well. But I think that you can decide to wait till marriage, but you just have to, you have to firstly make sure that A, it's also what you really, really want. And B, do your research into the, after the cherry popping stories, because if you're expecting, because if you think that waiting until marriage is going to make your sex life better, or if it's going to be like, you know, fireworks from the get go, you're going to be sorely disappointed. And like Rose said, I would also then just invest in getting to know your body, what turned you on, invest in sex toys, stuff like that in the meantime as well. And also coming to terms with the fact that even though religion says that sex is this huge event and that if you do it in the wrong way, then you're forever dirty and unclean, that that isn't true. Like sex is a totally normal and healthy thing on the pain of sounding patronising, but it's just unfortunate that the mainstream advice out there is either purity culture or the other extreme, which is the sex positive culture. I believe that the true answer lies somewhere in the middle and it's highly personal as well. I think my biggest gripe with the sex posy and the purity culture is that the biggest proponents of it are often not happy with the choice that they've made, and I think with FDS, that like, you know, one of the key things is I know it sounds a bit like choice feminism, but we do it with a twist in the sense that we want you know women to be empowered and to feel you know confident, secure, and happy in the choices that they've made.
0: So that's our show. <laughs> so <laughs> we didn't go as hard to, hard on this as like I know that there's a lot of people that wish that we did because of the fact that it's a delicate subject and i know we're going get, to probably get roasted by a lot of people who hate religion but just you know keep in mind that people are starting from different places in their fds journey we should say. So check us out on the website, thefemaledatingstrategy.com, as well as our Twitter, FMDatStrat, and support our Patreon. There's bonus content on there. You can also talk to us on the Discord, give us some feedback about this episode, uh, submit a Rosa scroat, a gnosis or a queenchet and we can read it on the air if you have a dating question. Also, follow us on Instagram at underscore strategy. And that's all, folks. So thanks for listening, queens, and for all these girls out there. I see the devil in you.
1: Dime. See you next week, ladies.